Welcome to the Commander-in-Chief Podcast. I'm Yuri Kruman, founder and CEO of Commander-in-Chief Media Group, award-winning chief people officer and keynote speaker, author of five books, Fortune 500 consultant and corporate trainer, and contributor to Fast Company, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Newsweek. Our mission at Commander-in-Chief Media is to help 100 million people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now through storytelling, educational media, thought leadership, HR consulting, corporate training, coaching, speaking, and authentic high-quality writing, helping people become their own Commanders-in-Chief. Now, if you're interested in being a guest on the Commander-in-Chief podcast, Stick around until the end of the show. We will share with you what we're looking for and how to apply. Hey guys, this is Yuri Kuhlman. I'm the host of Commander-in-Chief Podcast. As you guys have uh, heard by now, we interview some really fascinating people from all walks of life. We started out more with kind of tech CEOs, but uh, I think there's a lot more to life than just tech. So I'm um, thrilled today to welcome Laurel Mintz of Elevate My Brand, which is a really interesting agency, which is a lot more than just branding. Uh, Laurel, please tell us a little bit about your company and your work and your life. We'd love to hear more. Thanks for having me. You're excited to be here. Yes, Elevate My Brand is a digital and experiential marketing agency. So on the digital side, think web, content, social, advertising, and creative. And then on the experiential side, basically all the IRL stuff that we have been doing the last three years, launch yeah, events, trade shows, conferences, national field marketing. Mm -hmm. And as you said, for some of the biggest brands in the world, we also work with startups, but the brands that your guests probably would know, Verizon, Paw Patrol, Facebook, Geico. Just a couple little brands, you know. That's all. Wow. No kidding. <laughs> so how did you get to do this? I mean, uh, you didn't mention this yet, but uh, you're a reformed lawyer and clearly you've done a lot of different things. Uh, this is not some kind of long continuum of doing the same thing. No, but we, and we have more to come for sure. Mm -hmm. I started as an attorney. I hated law school. I ended up going and doing an MBA program with a focus in marketing. Long story short, my dad got sick when I had basically just graduated. I was just starting to practice and he's healthy now. So knock wood on that one for everyone listening. Okay. And I had to step in and run his interest in a big national company for about three years. So I started as a CEO at 26. I ran a staff of 60 for a company called Bassett Furniture, which people may or may not know, another yeah. big national brand. And I learned how to be an entrepreneur there. And what it taught me when he stepped back in was that that was really my journey. I was an entrepreneur. I wasn't really a full-time lawyer. I couldn't go back to that life. I was getting those six-figure offers and was like, ugh, I was like viscerally and physically nauseous every time I get, got one of those offers that really should have made me deliriously happy. And so I listened to my body and my energy and I was like, this has got to, there's got to be something else out there for me and started schmoozing and boozing with other entrepreneurs. All their pain points were around digital and uh, long story short, I was like, I can figure this out. And I did. And now 13 years and over 250 brands later. Well, that's pretty interesting. Uh, so Bassett Furniture. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty well-known national brand. So at 26, I mean, I definitely remember where I was. I just started law school. And I, I sure as hell, uh, I mean, my, my energy was very clear that, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I didn't listen too much to my energy, you know, good immigrant boy, et cetera. When you're a Jew, you're either a doctor or a lawyer. That's all that happens. Yeah, right? <laughs> not, not too much in the suitcase you're always carrying. But yeah, oh, so that's really interesting. Maybe give us some sense. I mean, okay, 
being thrown into a CEO job at 26 is not is not terribly typical. So what were some of the most interesting lessons that you learned? I'm, I'm particularly interested in dealing with people because, okay, yes, you go to law school, you learn a lot of theory, and it sounds nice, but it doesn't really translate to practice so much. How, how did you figure out that angle? Well, I think when you're thrown into something like that, it's a different vibe. So it wasn't like I was coming in as some hotshot kid and saying like, I'm the boss now, you know, you've got to listen to me. I was coming in from a much more humble position of, look, I'm here because I need to make sure my family can survive emotionally and financially. This would not be my choice. I'm not here because I want to be this hotshot kid. I'm here because it's my job and my duty to take care of my family. And I think once the people that I was that were working for me understood that, I think that immediately was a different vibe, right? It wasn't me coming in being a jerk, right? It was me coming in saying like, look, you guys know, I don't know this industry. I know enough to be dangerous. I know enough on the legal and business side, but I don't know what I don't know. And I was very clear about that. And I think because of that, there was a level of respect that was kind of instantly there and rapport that was instantly there because they knew me, right? I'd grown up mm -hmm. in the industry with my dad as a kid. Yeah. It was never me, my intention to be the boss. So I think it was coming at it from a more human angle of this is not my my life's work and my life's goal. I'm really here to make sure that this ship just keeps running smoothly. That's interesting. Yeah. So again, uh, 26, yes, you got an MBA. Obviously, you get a, a really solid foundation in how business works. But what were some of uh, the most kind of shocking things that you encountered in the job itself versus what you learned in the program? Probably the number one thing is that there's a lot of grownups that don't act like adults. <laughs> like Ooh. there's a lot of grown ass people, like Kurt, sorry. <laughs> That okay. just don't, they don't show up, they don't listen, they don't communicate well. I mean, especially mm -hmm. on on sales teams, which is all very like kind of, you know, schmoozy and very like mm -hmm. car salesman-y. And that industry in particular, it was very bizarre to me because law school teaches you process, teaches you mm -hmm. operational, like it teaches you how to think differently. And it's a very linear conversation I've found. And so showing up and being like, okay, here's the structure of what we need to do. And the people would go like off and do their own things and not follow the rules. And yeah, that was the most interesting and challenging part. Cause I was like, okay, how do I deal with this in a nice and kind and human way and not freak mm -hmm. out on these people because they're not following the rules. And also maybe I'm not, maybe following the rules isn't the right approach as it relates to this industry. I didn't know that. Right. So I was open mm -hmm. enough to understand while this is the framework that I get and I think that this should be, be leading within, I'm open to learning other things. It turns out I was right, but <laughs> but I was open to those conversations. And I think it's, again, about communication and coming at it from that human perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're running Basset Furniture. It's more or less, you know, you got to stand in. You got to kind of save the situation. Totally makes sense. That's super honorable. Pretty crazy experience, again, because you're, you're doing so many different things right at 26 of school. How do you go from there to then working, I guess, you can fill us in on more detail, but working with some of the best restaurant brands in Philly. So Le Beckfanals. I know that name. <laughs> yeah. Walk us through that. that. Yeah. So I did that before the Bassett gig, huh. actually. I was, so I was okay. doing my MBA and mm -hmm. I was basically consulting on the side before I really okay. knew what that was. So I ended up being able to do marketing work for Le Becfa, for Georges Perrier and his mm -hmm. browsery and the five-star concept for Public yep. House, which also had launched at that time in Philly. Mm -hmm. So I was already doing the marketing work while I was still in school. I just didn't realize that that was a path I could take. It just was where I fit because that's exactly who I am. And so after I moved back to the West Coast, I, that's when I studied and took the bar exam and passed. 
And that's then when I took over from my dad. But yeah, it wasn't as linear as I, I guess I thought it was in my head. And then I just started going, I reverted back to the marketing piece because after my dad stepped back in and backed it, I went back after those big six-figure law firm jobs and was like, no, I'm not doing this. And was introduced to quite a few other entrepreneurs. And again, like I said, all their pain points were around digital. It's just starting out. I'm probably dating myself at this point. This was like 15 years ago. You know, Digital was just mm-hmm. starting to be the part of the conversation. And one woman in particular who was a celebrity makeup artist needed to raise $5 million to launch her first cosmetic line. It was her first direct-to-consumer e-commerce type model. And I remember very vividly sitting with her having a martini. Thank God I had some liquid courage. And I was like, oh, I can do that. We're going to get that money raised. It's no big deal. I'll write the business plan and marketing model. We'll be fine. We'll get it done. And she was like, great, you're hired. I think she paid me like five grand. <laughs> it was like nothing. And I remember going back and sitting in my car, Yuri, and I had like pit stains under my arms. I was sweating so much because I was totally faking it, right? I was like just trying to figure out what my path forward was. And um, turns out that that was exactly the direction I needed to go in. Love it. Yeah, I love these stories. I have so many myself. I, I'm not even talking about pit stains. I'm just... You know, I talked my way into so many places where I had no business being. Right. It's not even funny. I mean, there were jobs or consulting gigs and eventually like, okay, like I, I get what I'm really good at, you know, and let me package the other stuff around it. And if I don't know something, I'll you know, call it, phone in a friend or what what have you. But uh, yeah, it took a while. Sometimes it's just like, it's just chutzpah, right? It just you don't even know where it comes from. Maybe it's liquid courage. Maybe it's just, I don't know, you love to blab. But anyway, so that's really cool. Did you, just for the record, did you grow up on the West Coast? I did. I'm literally Laurel from Laurel Canyon. My dad was a hippie mm-hmm. in the 60s, lived in a commune, not right. a kibbutz, but a commune, you know, that's the <laughs> 65 version, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's how I came to be. I did go and do all my schooling on the East Coast because everyone always said I had a very East Coast energy, right. but it turns out they had snow out there. I was like, no, thank you. I look much better tan than I do in snow gear. So came back pretty quickly thereafter. <laughs> Okay, so I'm eager to dig a little bit further into your consulting. Okay, so I get the point of working in uh, restaurants, hospitality, etc. Then you went into, of course, Bassett, which is something totally different. How did you sort of, you know, navigate between these wildly different industries? Of course, that means wildly different personalities and business models and regulatory issues and all that. How did that uh, come about? Well, like I said, I started being introduced to entrepreneurs and really, I think one of my gifts in life is listening, right? Listening and not just being there to talk and respond, but really understanding true pain points and really, truly my gift is people, right? My mm-hmm. gift is the gift of schmooze That's right. <laughs> and listening, right? So I could mm-hmm. hear every time I was introduced to someone, because I just kind of started saying like, this is what I do out there, right? And I have a big network. I wasn't even really networking about this company yet, but it just snowballs. I find when you're really good at something and you show up and you do good work, then that work, it just kind of proliferates on its own with you involved in the conversation. So I did the work for this woman. She introduced me to someone else who introduced me to someone else. And then I started going to, you know, networking groups. And then I was lucky. I had a girlfriend who was in one of the in San Francisco for a short while. We launched Girls in Tech and I launched mm-hmm. their global initiative. So I, I started creating those networks of women specifically in technology mm-hmm. and that found consulting clients through that work. And then the networks just, you know, they just kind of expand from there. So I've always been considered a networking queen. And I, again, truly love it because I love, I get my energy from other people and from their stories mm-hmm. and from understanding where I can support and educate and help them elevate their brands. And that's how Elevate My Brand came about. Amazing. Yeah. So let's dig a little deeper because I, I feel like this is something okay. that's okay. 
<laughs> well done. Networking is, is a four-letter word. A lot of it is done very poorly. And it, there's not much experiential learning. It's sort of like, okay, all of you sound like you're sort of like you should talk to each other because, I don't know, you're all lawyers or financiers or financial advisors. Oh, God forbid. And, you know, <laughs> from there, it's, okay, well, like, yeah, you guys should find something in common. Very poorly done, right? A lot of more, let's say, mastermind groups, things like that, that are more curated, that tends to be a lot more interesting. I like the idea of, you know, doing well by doing good. Of course, girls in tech is something that, you know, it's still a very relevant cause. It will be. Um, so tell us a little bit how you sort of, I'm sure you brought people together. You figured out how to build something that's probably more on the nonprofit side. Love to hear more yeah. about this. It was nonprofit, but it was connecting with some of the biggest brands in the world, the Googles, the Apples, the Intels, you know, these big companies that had mm -hmm. minority diversity requirements in terms of spend, in terms of their nonprofit give back factor. And at that time, it was still, it still is sadly a really big and important conversation, girls in tech, girls in STEM and STEAM, et cetera. Yep. So it was a very timely conversation and being leadership in an organization like that, people just are attracted to you because they're like, well, I want to either help or I want to understand how I can learn and be a part of that. Or I have an organization that I think you should partner with, or here's a corporation that wants to sponsor. So it really becomes a kind of vortex of networking where people are drawn towards you. And then it's yep. about what you do to leverage that for your own business afterwards, which I have always been mm -hmm. very, very intentional about. So I knew that I needed to build a database from a very young age. That was the tech side of my brain. And I think we've got like 30 or 40,000 people on our list to date. And I've also been really intentional about how I network. So I'll talk to almost anyone unless I'm very clear that they're a service provider that I can't help and that I don't need anything from, right? Otherwise, yeah. I'll have a conversation with someone who's right out of school, or I'll have a conversation with a brand, or I'll have a conversation with, you know, anyone. But I go into those conversations very intentionally. What do you need? What can I help you with? Where do we cross over? What is our call to action from here, right? Maybe mm -hmm. it's none, maybe there's nothing. But usually, you can find some either an introduction that needs to be made, or maybe it's a great business relationship. Maybe they're not ready for me yet, but they will yep. be in the future. So I call it orbiting each other's universe. So if there's someone mm -hmm. that I find that I think I can help or that can help me, or we can do business together, I will always schedule our next meeting in the meeting that we're in currently. I'll usually just update the invitation so that mm -hmm. we always have a touch point and we don't lose touch. Because a lot of times, to your point, Yuri, what happens is, People network and they're like, oh, yeah, I would love to do all these things. Yes, let's totally get together. Yes, let's do all this. And then nothing happens, right? I'm not a let's waste my time and energy kind of person. My time is extremely valuable. And I plan mm -hmm. accordingly. Cool. Okay. So branding, uh, I think a lot of people maybe even don't understand what it is or they think of it in, in a very kind of narrow sense. Just a very practical question. Again, I'm thinking of all these uh, tech startups, let's say that I'm talking to all the time could be HR tech, whatever it is. At what point does brand really matter? At what point, I mean, maybe you're not the right person to speak to quite yet when the company is very small and just sort of getting, you know, product market fit and getting a little bit of traction, maybe too early. But what are some of the things that companies, let's say, I don't know, a seed stage, series A, you know, just kind of getting, getting going? What do companies like that, again, we're talking about tech as a, as a particular use case. What do they need to think about when they think of brand? When does that matter? What do they need to think about in what order? I mean, I think it matters as early as possible for many reasons, right? Mm -hmm. For one reason, people always say social media eats first, right? Because you eat with your eyes, you eat with your community and your social is really a, such a huge part of building your brand from the ground up from ground zero. So if you have a crap brand, if you have a crap logo that has 
colors that don't make sense or the font choice you can't read or something is too, you know, when you make it small, you can't understand what it's saying or it just doesn't translate, then that's a problem, right? You are supposed to be building brand equity from day one in the way that you speak about your brand and how you communicate it in every single format and channel. So if you're not giving it intention and thought before you are launching it out into the universe, then you're doing yourself a disservice because all of the energy and time and, and money you're spending on pushing these brands out in networking, in digital ad spend, in print, in business cards, whatever those, I mean, there's a million marketing channels out there. Brand is one of the foundational pieces to marketing. So if you're not thinking about it first and foremost, you're probably missing the mark on quite a few things. You also wanna be really intentional about, intentional about building a brand because you have to have a sense of your messaging, your positioning, your targeting, which all informs your marketing, right? So if you don't know what your ethos and pathos, like your value set of a brand is, then how do you know if you're attracting the right audience? How do you know if you're attracting the right community? How do you know if you're attracting the right customers or team if you're growing out a team, right? So brand is so much more than the logo, the font choice, the color theory. It's really half of who you say you are and half of a reflection of what your audience sees in you. But it's so Mm -hmm. critically important, especially in a day and age where we're so inundated with so many messages. If you don't have a strong brand that speaks to who you are foundationally and resonates with your potential audience, you're already behind the eight ball. Not to mention, of course, the legal side of it, which is if you're building something with an intention of growing it or exiting eventually, you need to build brand equity and IP in a meaningful way. And that has a lot to do with the brand as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, I'm not exactly great at this myself. It's taken me God knows how long. I mean, I've always known that my brands are all over the place. And at some point, okay, commander in chief group, and then there's a podcast newsletter, et cetera. There are lots and lots of entrepreneurs like that, you know, that are just trying to build up different verticals and eventually hope that they'll fit fit together. Would you give any advice to people that are especially solopreneurs, right? That maybe they work with vendors here and there, maybe someone runs their social media or someone, you know, does their design. What would you say someone like that without anything like a budget to work with someone of, of your stature or experience? If you're in that kind of earlier stage, where would you allocate scarce resources in terms of you know, building ethos, pathos, and, and, you know, that collateral inequity. What would you do? How would you do it? Well, to be clear, like we have some giant clients, but we also love to work mm-hmm. in startup land and we've created processes that allow us to take little bite sizes. So companies like that can actually work with us. So we have a process called a digital mind map, which is we use a whiteboard platform called Miro, which is an amazing digital yeah. platform we can mm-hmm. we can whiteboard and play with. In that session, it's in about an hour and a half session, we really can understand how much do you know about marketing? What are the pieces that you need? What are the pieces that you have? How are you setting your goals? What is your current budget? How is it being allocated? Is that all effective? And here's a little bit of our secret thoughts on how we would execute. We also have a second session called the creative mind map session, which speaks more to the brand side of it, right? Which is really pulling out your who, what, where, when, why, how, your brand words, the messaging points, really focusing and honing in on who your primary, secondary, and tertiary audiences in hypothesis would be before you actually Mm -hmm. would test that on some social ads, et cetera. So I would say the best use of your time is to talk to a freaking expert. Like it doesn't matter if you don't have tens of thousands of dollars to spend. If you have a thousand dollars to spend, you can talk to an expert and get some really great strategy and framework around how to build a brand the right way. Then if you don't have the money to spend on an an ad agency that's or a marketing agency, that's fine. At least then you have someone who's given you expert advice, given you maybe a punch list of follow-up action items that you and your team can then execute. And then when you're ready, you can come back and have those conversations. 
That's pure gold right there. I think a lot of entrepreneurs that, especially when they're doing their first business and they're by themselves, they, they just don't know where to start. And I think yeah. marketing is something that like, oh, let me, you know, uh, get a client. Let me throw some, you know, I don't know, Google ads, Facebook ads. And they have no clue what the hell they're doing. There's no, <laughs> there's no organizing principle. Great, great model. Yeah. Let me make a logo on Taylor Brands. Okay. That's yeah. great. Nothing against Taylor Brands. <laughs> <laughs> So I think this is incredibly valuable advice that you just gave. Do it early because you need to appear a certain way to your, yes, ideal client profile, which, okay, I think 90% of people know or have heard about. It's a lot deeper than that, right? You need someone who can really help you understand what are you actually building? What are the values attached to it? And yes, who's your primary, secondary, tertiary audience? And yes, how to access them? You need to think through those things. But if you're stewing in your own soup, your own juice, whatever the analogy is, you're too close to your own stuff. You can't see what you're doing or how you're building it. So I think it's very, very important to do that work early. Very important. Uh, yeah. And like that. I said, you don't have to commit to tens of thousands of dollars. Commit mm -hmm. to a conversation. It will open your eyes and get you out of your way so much faster. Again, that lone wolf entrepreneur syndrome. We're all, we've all been, you know, there and I get it. It's really more of a fear-based conversation, right? You're scared to ask because you're scared it's going to cost too much, or you're scared that you're going to look stupid, or you're scared that you don't know enough or whatever. You're yep. just shooting yourself in the foot in the long run, right? Do it right the first time. And the best way to do that is to hire experts. I don't care if it's a marketing person, a finance person, a lawyer. We are experts in our world for a reason. You are expert in your world for a reason. So yep. make sure that you're talking to the right people at the right time. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's always been the number one priority, right? Whatever I win, a very big chunk of it has to go toward coaching, consulting, and working with the very best people. Because if you pay for garbage, you're going to get garbage. And anyway, you'll have to go with the expert. Yeah, garbage the in, garbage out. <laughs> exactly. Great. So, okay, we've talked about, you know, starting your consulting firm, working in restaurants, hospitality, moving over to Bassett. Okay, girls in tech a little bit later. And it seems like you continued your consulting work and you built an agency. How do you go from... I mean, there's, there's this kind of big void between that and working with Facebook, Geico, and, and how do you go from there? Is it girls in tech? I mean, how, how do you get introduced to No, definitely not. That was me mm -hmm. being very intentional about leaning into what I'm good at, right? Again, mm -hmm. it's that schmooze factor. I know what, what my energy is. And I also knew, and this is probably another piece of gold for your audience, that as a woman, as a female leader, that there were organizations out there that were supporting diverse founders. And so mm -hmm. I found an organization very early on called WeBank, Women Business Enterprise National Council. And mm -hmm. they uh, offer a certification. So if anyone's interested, WBENC.org. And you can add that in the show notes, Yuri. And I got certified mm -hmm. as a woman-owned agency, maybe five or six, my gosh, no, six or seven years ago at this point. And in doing that, I was able to interact with some of these big brands. And what people don't understand is most of those large corporations have minority and diversity spend requirements. So they're required mm -hmm. to spend with LGBTQIA plus women and people of color. So I leaned into that and I knew it was going to be, it's going to take a while because most of those big companies have two, three, four year contracts with their marketing people. But I knew if I could build the relationships that over time they would pay me back and absolutely did. In fact, you know, this is very unusual, but in the first six months of being certified, we landed a Facebook contract, which is literally unheard of, but you know, I'm good at what I do. What can I say? <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yes. Of course. 
That's that's amazing. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. Um, I think that um, a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize again because they're in a vacuum. They don't maybe they don't network enough. They don't talk to enough people. They're not part of enough masterminds, uh, what have you. But um, I think there's just a very simple rule that if you think it's too big a fish. You just you haven't found the right way to get in the ecosystem, right? There's so many different ways to work with great brands, great companies. You know, you just need to understand that whatever story you hear, I don't know, on a podcast or you read in a book or uh, some fast company article is just one version, right? I mean, right. the kinds of opportunities that you've gotten, at least in the beginning, right? Eventually word spreads and okay, like, that's great. Just there's a wow. Before the wow, you have to just, you know, find every which way. Whom can I meet? How can I add value? You know, maybe sometimes do a little bit of free work or do an audit or something, right? There's so many different ways that you can offer value up front. And it, it doesn't mean you need to be exploited just for the hell of it, because that's also not okay. But there are many different ways where it's not just chutzpah. Yes, it is. I liken it to trying to enter the center of a labyrinth. Right. And it's very difficult because you can't see over the hedge, right? You can't really see what's in the center. You can't see the whole plan. And maybe someone gives you a snapshot or maybe, you know, you go around knocking, maybe there's a secret door. But if you stay around long enough and you're motivated enough, guess what? You're going to find all the little tricks and the ways. And eventually, yeah, you'll get to the center. You'll be the one left that actually is motivated to do it. So sometimes that takes the form of a kind of fortunate introduction where you read something somewhere, you joined a network, there's so many associations and and groups, I mean, all over the place, online, in real life. That's sometimes by far the best backdoor way to to make it to whatever platform. And sometimes all you need is kind of a foothold. I always talk about this with my clients that I coach, you know, whatever level you enter, don't just stay at the bottom of that level. Go right to the top, right to what's next. What's straight at the next level? I, I think don't know that's exactly it's... right. That's always how I've been. I've always been like, okay, we. and this is also not great because you want to celebrate the wins, but I've also been very much in the, of that mindset of like, mm-hmm. okay, we figured this out. Now what's next? Now where's the next leapfrog? Where is the next stepping stone? How can we continue to elevate our own brand instead of being mm-hmm. comfortable with that one win or being in stasis? Exactly. And I've always been... I guess I've always been very risky in terms of taking those leaps of faith, but I also believe like what's supposed to be yours will come to you. So there's a, there's a little bit of a woo there, a little bit of an energetic in the universe. This is what's supposed to be yours will come to you and a lot of hustle. It's got to be both. Exactly. Very good. Thank you for that. Okay. So one thing that I love to ask my guests, I mean, okay, we've touched upon different parts of your career today. We've talked a little bit about your work. You've been very generous with sharing advice for earlier stage founders. How have you learned to deal with people? Again, it's something that, you know, it has to be well aligned with who you are, how you do things. You were kind of thrust into a CEO position at 26. Clearly, you know, you've gone through many different iterations of CEO and industry and sort of other people through your work, through the business. What are some of your principles that have served you well in managing people? Well, again, I think hiring for the things that you're not good at so that you have balance in terms of who's on your team, super important. I had a Mm -hmm. point at which I had 15 people and a lot of them were millennials and I couldn't communicate with them. There was a disconnect. And so I literally Mm -hmm. hired someone who we called the millennial whisperer and he Mm -hmm. would go in and he would have these deep, really emotional conversations that I just was like, I just don't have time for this. I don't have time in my day to be energetically committed to that. Not that I don't want to be because your feelings are totally valid, but I know that that's not the space that I'm good at, right? I'm going to be sitting there looking at my watch and thinking about how many emails I could have 
launched out to talk to the right people at these big companies, right? So I brought in people to help me where I was lacking. And then I think the other really important piece is realizing that we're all human, right? So it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay for people to make mistakes. It's really about the, like we had a mistake that happened in the agency this morning and the team came on the call and they were really nervous. And I said, you guys know how I feel about this. Mistakes are fine. All I want to know is why did it happen? How can we fix it? And what's the lesson? So I think it's about empowering your team to understand that failure is acceptable. And in doing that, they'll communicate in a much more efficient way with each other and with you and with the clients, hopefully as well. It was a lesson hard learned. You know, I had a couple of really hard years where I was not clicking with the team where I was like, what am I doing? Am I a great leader? Am I a total F up? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I don't want anyone to think that like, I became a lawyer and then I was on this magical journey and everything's been perfect ever since. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not life's reality. Right. Unicorns and rainbows. Exactly. It's been really, really challenging. And it's been a personal journey for me as well to understand what my value sets are and how I see those in my team and how I make sure that it's reflected every day in the work that we do. Very cool. One last question about business. And then I want to ask you more about life philosophy. Yeah. No no biggie. Um, (laughs) How do you find working with larger clients uh, like a Geico Facebook? Of course, you know, all kinds of teams are very different. Yes. Tech versus insurance, vastly different. But do you find that there's any particular difference in terms of expectations, in terms of standards working other than clearly your own, which are very high? in working with those larger clients as opposed to earlier stage? I think everyone's a hot mess. I don't think anyone has it figured out. Even the biggest corporations are a hot mm-hmm. mess. Everyone's a hot mess. We're all just trying to figure it out and pretend mm-hmm. like we're polished and perfect. That's right. I think made us successful in working with some of those big companies is our operational process, making sure that mm-hmm. we know if this, then that, right? So we yeah. need X, Y, and Z before we can do A, B, and C. And if we don't get that, then we have to slow the process down. Even the clients can get upset about it. And we say, look, we need approvals for these three things. Otherwise we can't move forward. And they're like, well, we don't know how to do that. And we're like, yes, you do. We sent you an email on this date. Here it is again. Like sometimes it's more about handholding than anything, but it's also just mm-hmm. about stay, sticking to your operational process more than anything else. Take to your guns, kids. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so toward the end of the episode, I always like to ask every guest. We we always talk about four conversations, one around uh, the body, that's nutrition, fitness, uh, sleep, biorhythms, things of that nature. Number two, of course, I think the juiciest, the neediest stuff, mental models and life skills. Number three is dealing with other people. And number four is conversation with God or the universe, right? No, uh, No small task. So, you know, as someone who has seen some very, very interesting things in life, worked with so many different kinds of people and businesses and industries and and lived all over the country. What would you share with us that has really served you well in any role for those conversations? That's a pretty big question. Uh, Can you get a little more narrow in that? Like anything that served me (laughs) well, I don't know much that serves me well. I think patterns are really important. So consistency and that that's maybe why I love marketing so much because marketing really is about creativity, but it's about consistency and how you push out that creativity on specific channels. So for me, I wake up, I chug a big old bottle of water. I write in my gratitude journal. I do Wordle now, which I'm obsessed with. I work yes. out. Mm-hmm. I try not to get involved in the day-to-day busyness of life until nine o'clock. I really try and make my mornings mine in terms of getting myself physically and emotionally prepared for the workday. Because I've found that when I would just jump in and look at my emails, or I would just jump in and start doing things around the house or whatever, I there was not a sense of peace that I could carry with me throughout the day. And ultimately, yep. I think that's the thing that served me best is 
not being reactive, being responsive to things. So not that knee jerk, Mm -hmm. like emotional lizard brain reaction, being able to have space between a moment of either panic or fear or whatever, excitement even. And the response to that is, I think, the thing that served me best. I think the vast majority of truly successful people will tell you something very, very similar, right? That you have to have your own sense of, okay, here's how my life has to function. I have to, even if I don't feel like it, I don't want to, I have to go through my routine, whether that's hygiene, exercise, whatever, drinking water, journaling, doesn't matter. You have to keep that pattern because that's your saving grace. I've yeah. seen that time and time again. I mean, you know, I think most of us can point to some really difficult times and challenges. And, you know, you think your business is going to fall apart. You think your marriage is going to fall apart. I mean, it's, it's terribly <laughs> banal. Terribly I did banal. it this it's... morning. I got up to go to Pilates and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And then I did it anyways. And I feel so much better having done it. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. You've given us some really, really valuable things for, I think, not just early stage founders, but I think in general, how to approach the craft in which you're the master, but also just how to approach life. Sometimes things are very simple, in fact. So I truly appreciate having you on. I certainly hope we'll have another chance to uh, continue the conversation. Thanks so much, Yuri. Really appreciate the work that you're doing as well. Thank you, Laurel. All the best to you. Thank you so much for listening to Commander-in-Chief Podcast. To apply to be a guest on the show, head on over to cicmediagroup.com backslash guest. CIC is in Commander-in-Chief. So that's cicmediagroup.com backslash guest. These guys, help us spread the word about the podcast and our mission on social media. We're cooking up something truly special over here, and we really need your help to spread the message. The reviews especially are huge for helping us grow and get the golden nuggets of wisdom from our world-class guests out into the world. Go on ahead, give us a review rating on whichever platform you use to listen. Our mission at Commander Chief Media is to help 100 million people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now through storytelling, education media, thought leadership, consulting, corporate training, coaching, speaking and authentic high-quality writing, helping people to become their own Commanders-in-Chief. And before you go, please make sure to hit that subscribe button for us here at the Commander-in-Chief Podcast so that you can be the first to know when new episodes drop. Let's not be strangers, friend, okay? Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you hang out. And, of course, if you want to learn more about our work and impact, or just access some great content. Yeah, plenty of that. Head on over to CICmediagroup.com. That's uh, CIC as in Commander-in-Chief, mediagroup.com. Once more, this is Yuri Kruman, and thanks for listening.